We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Welcome back. This is the Big Blue Banter, New York Giants football podcast. I'm Dan Schneier. Joined, as always, my co-host, Nick Filato. We're coming to you on a Monday evening following the Super Bowl. I was lucky enough to get off for the Super Bowl Monday. That's the first time I think I've been off for Super Bowl Monday. Since moving over to this career path, I am actually making a transition in CBS Sports. I'm staying in the company, but I am moving over from the NFL team to the fantasy team, which is bad news for the few of you who have left us one, two, or zero star reviews. I don't even know if it's possible. I think there's only one or two. For speaking fantasy on the podcast, I got some news for you. You might hear three minutes of fantasy in the coming episodes. And you know what? You're going to have to deal with it. If I drop three minutes of fantasy knowledge, you're going to have to deal with it. And the people who actually are going to be happy about it are the people who listen because I've made a lot of money in DFS. I've made a lot of money in season-long fantasy. I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but I was working in the fantasy industry before I moved over to NFL. And I'll be dropping some knowledge, and hopefully it'll help people. Hopefully people find interest in it. But don't worry, it won't be a lot. It'll be at most a minute or two of the show. It'll be shorter than what I just went over right now in this preamble. So without further ado, Nick, before we talk a little Giants, today we are going to do a draft profile in our draft profile series of Florida State cornerback Asante Samuel Jr., the junior from Florida State, the son of Asante Samuel, the man who... Many people say is the guy who, quote-unquote, dropped the interception from Eli in the Giants Super Bowl. Guess what? Watch that replay. That ball was—he reached for that ball with his outstretched fingertips, and it hit the fingertips. That's not an easy interception. Yeah, he could have made a play on the ball, but that was not some gimme interception that he just dropped. And I've always kind of—it's been a pet peeve of mine, Nick, how the people talk about that as like an auto pick and like, oh, we dropped an easy pick from Eli. The game would have been different. Eh, I don't know. Watch that replay. You might feel the same way. He also— Look directly at the sideline to see if he was getting his feet in bounds. He got cocky. Yeah. 
got cocky trying to go for that interception. The fact that he had to look to the sidelines if he got his feet in bounds shows it's not a gimme interception. But anyway, son of Asante Samuel, we will be diving into that first. Because it's Super Bowl Monday, let's talk a little Super Bowl. What was your key takeaway, I would say, from that Super Bowl performance? It, it was not a it was not a pretty Super Bowl. No, it was not. I would say the trenches. The trenches win. We saw the Kansas City Chiefs with just several injuries on their offensive line and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers take full advantage of that. Another thing that we saw was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers established the run, controlled the clock a little bit, win in the trenches there. We saw Ronald Jones and Leonard Fournette both look really good on the ground. So the trenches helped win this game. And I also thought the Tampa Bay Buccaneers coaching staff had a phenomenal game. They adjusted from that week 12 loss at home against the Kansas City Chiefs. And the Chiefs coaching staff didn't adjust in this game. I mean, I saw a stat that they were in five-man protection 92% of the time. And Patrick Mahomes was pressured on 53% of his dropbacks. I mean, what the heck are you doing? I get you want to spread the field, use 11 personnel, get your playmakers out in space, but you need to adjust. You also need to run the football a little bit. You gave the ball to Clyde Edwards-Alaire nine times, and that was one way you were moving the football. You need to slow down that pass rush. There were so many X's and O's things that I felt like the Chiefs could have done better, and they just did not adjust their offensive game plan. I'm kind of surprised by that. Yeah, it's interesting. Your takeaways are pretty much the same as mine. I think these are the big three takeaways from what was easily the worst Super Bowl I've seen in a long time. I mean, people point to Rams, Patriots from a few years back just because people don't like defense. I like defense. I like field position. I like that style of grind it out, duke it out football. I've never at all. I mean, I don't like necessarily sometimes when the coaches decide to punt in those situations. That's totally different. But when a game is going in that kind of game flow, I don't mind it. But this one was just out of hand by the second half. It was over. Now, there were some controversial calls, but those didn't really come into play or those can't really be used as crutches this Monday because they didn't come back in the second half and it wasn't a four-point loss. But the key takeaways for me are the same as you. I mean, for starters, We've learned now. We thought maybe, just maybe, Patrick Mahomes was so good and that offense with Travis Kelsey, with Tyreek Hill, and with Andy Reid designing the plays was so good that they didn't need an offensive line. But that's not it. That's not football. It's a good... It's. I'm happy that we all got to watch this game. It reinforces what I've felt for a long time. I've always kind of compared the offensive line to the bullpen in baseball. It doesn't need to be the elite of the elite, though that's great to have. It's awesome to have an elite line. But more importantly, it just can't be disastrous. When you have a disastrous offensive line, just like when you have a disastrous offensive, I'm sorry, bullpen in baseball, you lose games. As a Mets fan, we know this. Or whoever of you listening to this podcast or Mets fans, you know, Patrick Mahomes is to Jacob deGrom. He gets you there. He gets you all the way to that inning. But in the end, the bullpen blows it. And what we saw is Mike Remmers, who played for the Giants last year, have to shift over originally from playing right guard, where he was actually okay for them to right tackle, and then he had to shift all the way over to left tackle, all in a span of, you know, five, six, seven weeks. Then they had to move a right guard to right tackle, and in the process, they're losing out on Mitchell Schwartz, who's arguably the best right tackle in football. If not, he's top three, and he's certainly the most consistent. And Eric Fisher, who's made a really nice career to himself at left tackle, and then you said it best. I mean, in week 12, when these two teams played, Tyreek Hill absolutely destroyed them the Bucks had no. It looked like the Bucks had no match for him. Todd Bowles was running his same defense, and he was just basically saying, "Let's keep up with him." And man, and they can't keep up with him. Man, not many teams have corners who can. But <clears throat> excuse me, in this game, it was quite the opposite. Travis Kelsey got his yards. Travis Kelsey got his catches over the middle. But Tyreek Hill was limited on the outside, and that made a huge difference in this game. And that's coaching, like you said. And the third thing is exactly what you said. I don't know if you said it in these words, Nick, but 
Tampa Bay was the more physical team. And that's the one thing that kind of makes me think, okay, that's a good sign because we know the Giants under Joe Judge and with Dave Gettleman are preaching the importance of physicality, being the more physical team, both throughout the season and then finally and more importantly in December, January, February when the weather turns and it really can be more important. Not to say this was a cold weather game, but even in a warm weather game like this one, they were the more physical team. You saw it, like Nick said, when Tampa Bay was running the football and getting some chunks in the running game. And overall, they were the more physical team. And sometimes, and you know, not sometimes, more often than not, the more physical team will win. So those are the key takeaways. Good things to look forward to. The Giants are trying to build one of these rosters. I mean, obviously, you know, we have to factor in Tom Brady and Patrick Mahomes were in this game. So the Giants will need a boost, obviously, from that position. But, you know, there's good takeaways, I think, in this. Anything else you took away from the Super Bowl? I, thought, I also think it's kind of interesting just Shaq Barrett in general. He had over 10 pressures in this game, and he was just getting after it along with Jason Pierre-Paul, Adamakun Sue, and Vita Vea all had, I think, five or more pressures. I think, in the end, the Buccaneers had 38 pressures in this game. That's insane. Yeah, I, insane. <laughs> I, posted a, I posted a next-gen stats chart of – Patrick Mahomes path in the pocket and it's just lines going all over the place and then you have Tom Brady's path and these are on shotgun only plays Tom Brady's path in the pocket it was just one like little clump of dots all together he just didn't move he didn't have to move yeah. and it's just that's how you can't win football games without an offensive line you and just can't Byron Leftwich, man what, what he was able to do with Gronk specifically because Gronk hasn't really been a huge focal point of their offensive game plan as a receiver right. he's been used as a blocker but in the red zone you saw them utilize Gronk you saw him on that one pop pass that went for like 25 yards nobody was even near Gronk because Gronk just faked like he was gonna block and then just went right up the middle of the field wide open so I thought Leftwich really did a great job against Steve Spagnuolo who is obviously an excellent offensive or defensive coordinator the Buccaneers looked like clearly the more prepared team in this game and for what it's worth that's a big factor in my opinion and why they won this game all right before we dive into the Asante Samuel Jr. draft profile Let's talk a little Giants news, because there was some news today, Monday. First news in a little while for the Giants, and that's that they are hiring University of Louisiana Lafayette offensive coordinator and offensive line coach, keep in mind also offensive coordinator, Rob Sale, to be the Giants offensive line coach. Sale previously worked with Joe Judge. I really like this hire for a multitude of reasons. The first one is that he did run that offense there as well. And I think that could be a potential plus if he gets in that room and starts to kind of work with the Giants' current offensive coaching staff, bring in some new concepts potentially to the Giants' stagnant offense and passing game. But more importantly, it's about him being an offensive line coach. And like I said, he did work with Judge, but he has an extensive background. But I think he did his best work, honestly, at UL at, with the Raging Cajuns because you look at the, the players that he's put out there, Kevin Dotson, Steelers fourth round draft pick from this year immediately played immediately looked like an NFL player Robert Hunt remember him from a couple years ago rising up draft boards he's been a solid NFL player as well and I'll tell you this I am not ever going to claim to be an offensive line coach expert Nick I don't know how anyone could claim to be that but two people who I do trust for their analysis on the offensive line and that's because they put their work out there they study offensive line in depth on film and some of them one of them works directly with offensive linemen to improve their skill set, and that's Duke Manyweather and Brandon Thorne. We've referenced Brandon Thorne multiple times on this podcast. He does some excellent offensive line breakdowns on film, and Duke does the same, but Duke also teaches these players. And both Duke and Brandon took time out of their day 
to both tweet today about how good of a, how strong of a hire this was by the Giants. When both of them come out and say that, that piques my attention. That perks my interest. Absolutely. And again, I don't really know too much about Robert Sale, but I hope he can come in here and stabilize this line, which showed a lot of progress down the stretch of the season. I do trust Joe Judge. Joe Judge worked with him, and I'm sure Joe Judge wouldn't bring no scrub onto this roster. So, I mean, we're going to roll with it, and hopefully this line can continue to ascend. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, look, year one, it didn't work out. They brought in Colombo. He was a fan, friend of Garrett's. They thought it would work out. He did not mesh well with Judge. And ultimately, he was fired midseason. So obviously, they didn't feel like the Guglielmo. The Guglielmo. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. They didn't feel like the Googs, as I call them, was a long-term fixture there, somebody who they believed in. And so that's fine. And listen, when you have games like that Arizona game, they're going to stand out on film like a sore thumb, and people are going to, around the organization, be like, is this guy are we really going to invest in Googs long-term when he has performances like that where it's just completely outmatched? And hopefully Rob Sale will be a fixture here for a long time. Hopefully Joe Judge just found his next Sean Spencer or his next you know, Patrick Graham, guys that he believes in that can be impact coaches like those two were in my opinion in their first year with the Giants all right on that note let's take a quick break for, to your word from our sponsors then we're going to dive into this Asante Samuel Jr. draft profile the economy is made up of real people doing real stuff and it affects everything which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news we dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. All right, Asante Samuel Jr. We prefaced the preview of the show talking a little bit about his background. He is a 5'10", 184-pound junior out of Florida State, former four-star recruit, played big-time, big-time high school football at one of the best high school football programs in America, had a breakout season in 2020, I would say, first-team All-ACC, 97 tackles, three for loss, four interceptions, 29 passes defensed, and this was only in eight games because he opted out to start preparing for the pros. Those are the stats. Only allowed 178 yards in eight games. Over his career, 31 games at Florida State, he quickly became kind of a leader of that defense, a fan favorite and a team favorite. 
Nine interceptions and 29 passes defense in 31 games. That's big-time ball skill-type stats. Nick, Asante Samuel Jr. is going to get knocked for sure for his size. This is the same knocks we heard for Darnay Holmes last year. But what's your key takeaway from having watched Samuel's film? And just for those of you who aren't aware, Nick dropped a profile, a draft profile, a more in-depth profile, if you do prefer to read about it as well as listen to it, on sportsillustrated.com, Giants Country. You can find it there. But you don't even need to know where it's from because I guarantee you if you type in Asante Samuel Jr. draft right now, Nick's article is number one, which is pretty awesome because Google and the SEO on that bad boy, whoever's running that, I guess it's uh, Patty Train over there, your editor. She's doing a good job with it because it's number one on Google and all of these have been. So let's start there. I'll start by asking you a question. How about this, Nick? Do you feel like Asante Samuel Jr. will be forced to kick inside to the slot at the NFL level similar kind of to what Darnay Holmes did with the Giants last year. Do you think he is able to play on the outside at his given size? I think he can play on the outside, but it's just going to depend on the team that ends up selecting him because he's listed at 5'10", but like I said in the article, he's a Kyler Murray 5'10". He's really 5'9 and a half, 5'9 and some change. <laughs> you can like see him out there next to, in the North Carolina game, Dynami Brown, who's a solid receiver, who's only about 6'1", 6'1 and a half, and you can see there's a pretty stark difference between their two sides. He looks undersized out there, but with that said, the thing, the key takeaway, since you, you asked this a little bit ago, his hips, man. You love his hips. This guy can flip and he can turn. He doesn't lose any momentum. He stays low. He glides. He looks like he's freaking levitating out there with his footwork and just how smooth he is with his transitions. And that's such a big part of playing man coverage is how do you transition? If you have a little hitch, do you pop up? Does your center of gravity rise? Does your pad level rise? And that kind of slows you down. It slows your acceleration down. And it gives that wide receiver just that much more time and space that he needs. Asante Samuel, it's not like that. He can flip his hips. He can even make mistakes well up the stem, flip his hips. Oh, see, oh, he actually is going back outside. Now I can just easily transition and close with because he also has that ability to flip and close with burst and just kind of ride the hip, the inside hip, the outside hip, whichever leverage he's executing of the receiver. I really, really love what he can do from a man coverage perspective. And I haven't studied all of the corners in this class, but it's going to be hard to kind of top this kind of man coverage ability, but his big knock is going to be that size. The run support, he's not great at. He tries, but again, the hit power isn't always there unless the receiver is facing the other direction and he's clicking and closing downhill. But there's a lot of great takeaways from Asante Samuel's film. I think just the way he sees routes, the way he comes off, match type, man match type of defense as you can see he's over the number one receiver and he sees that number two come to the flat on a cut type of technique he'll just drive downhill very very fast and that's when he can hit them very hard force passes incomplete and stuff like that and I also just love his ability to get to that catch point and use physicality to disrupt passes that's why he had so many passes defense at Florida State there's a lot to like about him yeah it's interesting with Samuel I actually took some time to watch there's actually decent film cut-ups of him that are available to everyone I saw versus Pitt and another one of these ACT teams who I'm not quite remembering right now just because the ACC teams to me all blend together I don't watch ACC football during the regular season unless it's to watch Trevor Lawrence but like you said when you watch Samuel you'll get it you'll get it right away why this guy is an interesting prospect and a prospect people are talking about and a lot of what I saw 
that got me excited about Darnay Holmes. And remember, when the Giants took Darnay Holmes at the top of the fourth round, that was viewed by some fans as their worst pick. No one understood the pick. And I was standing there on Twitter directly after the pick, giving that an A grade from a value standpoint and saying, this was actually my favorite value pick of the entire draft because just like with Samuel, and I saw this with Horn as well, though he's a little bit of a different player because he can get grabby, but just like with Samuel... And with Holmes, they're really, really smooth movers. You said it best. I mean, these guys just look like they can flip their hips and recover in coverage even if they get beat as long as they, you know, understand the concepts or or can figure out and get a feel for where these receivers are moving into. And with time, I think he's going to become an even smarter player. Reddy looks like he has a super high football IQ out there. It looks like clearly he's the son of an NFL defensive back. That looks obvious. And when you combine that with his natural smooth athleticism and his ability to move in coverage, it's really interesting. My question for you would be, I have no real qualms with him when it comes to pass coverage. My only, like, as an NFL, as a cornerback, just the position of that, I think this dude is legit. But when you kind of break it all down you look into these prospects you have to ask yourself is this guy going to be a great player at the college level and the nfl player or does or are there factors that could hold him back one would be for me my question would be his size you answered at the beginning you do not think that'll be an issue or a major issue the other would be in run support because the giants do use these corners in run support and if they're playing zone they're going to need to come down and it's not just run support it's run after the catch support it's the ability to tackle in open field in space on underneath routes do you have any qualms with that because anyone who the giants take and we're talking right now about that second round pick number 42 overall i believe we've said 40 in the past we will get it at some point tankathon we're using them for now but someone once said 43 i think time will tell what's going on there this is amazing that me and nick don't know this but we're just going to keep rolling with it well we go off of tankathon (laughs) and i checked tankathon i want to say and tankathon screwed me over when i was first a writer i wrote an article for inside the pylon and i used what they had the giants picks as and i got roasted on like big blue interactive because of the oh bbi boys and i I totally understand why they're roasting but i was like i was going off this what i thought was a very reputable site and maybe they're not because i checked and they said they had 40 i swear i checked you know maybe it was after the season and now they are they're at 42 we're at 42 i've and I've cross-referenced it with Wikipedia, which everyone knows Wikipedia is the source of all sources. Nothing Absolutely. that's ever been printed that Absolutely. has been wrong. Use that for any of your – just make sure your kids aren't using that for their freaking homework assignments. But back to the point, with pick 42, which is where they would be drafting a player like Samuel, he's not falling past that. He's not falling to their third-round pick. With a pick like that, would you feel comfortable with him in year one and his ability to not only – tackle and run support but also on those underneath routes in zone i think you could definitely come downhill and tackle in those underneath routes in zone and run support against bigger body receivers it's always going to be somewhat of an issue like ed smith said when we had him on the podcast physics is physics and it's sometimes difficult to overcome measurable and frame type of builds at the nfl when all of these incredible athletes are out there he was definitely aggressive in run support it's not like he was olaying or pulling a janoris jenkins or anything like that he wanted to it's just sometimes it wasn't overly effective that could be an issue well that would yeah that's kind of what i'm asking because i know he's the willing the willingness is there you can see it on the tape but will he be just someone who can't form tackle and is going to miss tackles that lead to extended plays first downs drive killing plays things like that nature 
I don't think it will be a, a huge problem, but there might be. It might happen every now and again. It's definitely something that's going to be knocked on him because if he was a little bit bigger, we're talking about this guy probably being yes. a top ten pick. But Easily. instead, we're talking about him at forty two. So that's kind of the knock, and that's what you have to weigh because this guy could he be a number one corner? Maybe because his athleticism, his ability to man cover, his football IQ all suggest that he has that within his wheelhouse but then when you look at his size and then you look at oh well can he press at the line of scrimmage is that going to be an issue against guys like julio jones and bigger bodied receivers you have to ask yourself those questions and see if that he's going to be able to translate to the nfl level and it's kind of difficult now at the line of scrimmage in college i felt like he was excellent handling releases he was disciplined with his hips and even though he, he he could probably cheat a little bit because his hips were so smooth that he could transition so well even if he got it wrong but he was still disciplined with his hips he was still patient at the line of scrimmage his jam and his press against bigger receivers weren't all that great so he would just inch back and then he would let them go into their stem and then he would open his hips and just ride them in man coverage all the athleticism you need in a cornerback you love to see that but there will be those issues now if you're telling me, hey, Giants are at 42, they did not go cornerback at 11, and Asante Samuel Jr. is there, and the Giants make that pick, I'm going to be happy with that. I'm going to be like, okay, yes, he's slightly undersized, but similar to Antoine Winfield Jr., who just won a Super Bowl now, cornerback and safety is different, you can still overcome size. And I do think that sometimes NFL evaluators will put too much stock in a player's size and kind of they'll love the tape but they'll be like oh, well he doesn't really check the size box so we're just gonna let this guy fall way too far and then he goes to a team that takes that risk and that team is greatly rewarded so that's something that i feel like could happen to samuel if he uh if he does end up sliding because of his size yeah you're 100 right and those of you who listened to the big blue bander podcast last draft season knew that i was very adamant in my belief that all you need to do is watch Antoine Winfield Jr. out there last year for the Minnesota Govers, and you knew he was a lock. I felt like he was such a damn lock, and immediately he gets to the NFL level. The size is of no concern, and he's an ama- not an amazing. He wasn't like the best safety in the NFL this year, but he was excellent, and he got better and better as the season went on despite the injuries. And th- that was just the type of player he was, and I feel the same way watching Samuel. I'll ask you this. I, I'll first, Before I get into my main concern with him, I'll first ask you this. Do you put any stock into NFL bloodlines? Because I do. I really do. It's part of why I like Winfield. I like these guys coming from NFL bloodlines. I believe that not only are they going to have all the resources they need growing up to become the best football player they can become, they're also going to have a personal teacher throughout their entire life teaching, especially when it's the same position like this scenario where you got, you know, Samuel's dad was a corner. Now he's teaching him the cornerback position. He's coming up as a corner. Do you put any stock into any of that? I put a, I put a lot more than maybe I should, but I put a lot of stock into it. It can't hurt, <laughs> you know, and <laughs> I, I do put stock in it because of all the things that you just listed. I mean, your father was Asante Samuel. Your yes. entire life you've been around football. You play the same exact position as him. So, I mean, what better way to have somebody help refine your game than it being your freaking dad who played the game and understands the same stuff you're going through? Yeah, and I'm surprised for that reason. Only five foot ten, actually. But um, anyway, as far as Samuel goes, here's my main concern, and I'm curious what you think about this. If the Giants were to draft Samuel with the 42nd pick overall in the 2021 NFL Draft, can they really afford to put both because we know Holmes is developing into an every down player it's pretty obvious all you have to do is watch him he kicked inside to the slot he looked excellent there he's only going to get better he's just learning the slot he's going to be on the field for most snaps when you have both Samuel and Holmes on the field I feel like there are ways to one take advantage of them from a size standpoint in the passing game if you get the right matchups uh, you know trips and one for or stacked side the field with your bigger mismatches 
or two in run support or against teams like the Ravens who are going to come out with that run heavy type approach and you're going to be putting these guys in positions where they need to make key tackles at the end that could either turn to play from you know 45 to three as far as yard gain goes can they afford to have both of them at the field on the field at the same time Darnay Holmes actually kind of stepped up in run support wasn't that much of a liability despite his more diminutive size but I think that's going to end up being the reason why maybe the Giants overlook someone like Asante Samuel and it sucks because he does have that man coverage ability, but there are a lot of corners in this draft who probably do not have the Asante Samuel type of man coverage skills, but they're big, they're long, and they're good. And there's going to be several who are going to probably be available at pick 11. So I don't know if the Giants and Dave Gettleman specifically are going to go in that direction to put two sub five foot ten cornerbacks on the field in an NFL where you have six foot four wide receivers. You have these hybrid wide receiver tight ends like Kyle Pitts coming into the league you have Dallas Goddard in your division who likes to play big slot now you have safeties who can kind of handle that as well but then you got the three wide receivers down in Dallas with C.D. Lamb with Michael Gallup with Amari Cooper all above six foot so you need to kind of also build to defeat your division so I don't know if they would go in that direction but if they did I think Samuel's skill set is good enough to help overcome it but there would be liabilities yeah it's interesting because like i said when you watch him you see that this guy has got it any other key traits you want to go over or anything else specifically you want to touch on from your film evaluation of asante samuel jr i just think he is such a smooth mover man and i really love what he brings like i've already said from an athletic standpoint man coverage standpoint and from a mental standpoint it's just press ability might be a little bit of a question against bigger receivers the physicality and the tackling might be detriments i don't think he's a poor tackler but he does just try to fly in there use his shoulder sometimes and sometimes he misses with that sometimes he makes contact but the guy has enough contact balance that it doesn't actually bring him down so he could definitely get better in those areas of play the size limitations are going to teams probably to force him to slot i think he could play boundary but it's going to all determine on where he lands, and if he lands with a team who have two six foot one cornerbacks with thirty three inch arms, he's going to get kicked in the slot, and he's going to be a damn good slot defender. Well, that's the other thing I would ask you about because last year he played a lot of boundary, but he also played in the slot. And during those snaps when he was in the slot, he was Pro Football Focus's highest graded slot cornerback. So you look and you project it forward to the Giants. Well, the Giants kind of feel like they have their guy in the slot when it comes to Darnay Holmes. So with that said. I feel like if they draft Asante Samuel, he'll be playing mostly the boundary, at least for year one, and maybe in general, because Holmes on his rookie contract, really an ascending prospect, we feel like. So with that said, if he's on the boundary, and this is a guy who, by the way, had most of his success and played most of his snaps in man coverage, do you feel like the Giants, if they do draft Samuel, it's an indication that they're going to move to more man coverage, like we saw from Patrick Graham a lot in Miami, but less so last season with the Giants? Yeah, I think that would be what they would do you would see more man coverage if Asante Samuel was out there because you would have the ability to play man coverage and a lot of defenses want to play man coverage especially in those third and short type situations and I think that stat about him being the highest graded that was from 2020 and he only had 15 slot snaps according to pro football focus (laughs) and that's why you always have to take these PFF stats in context and thank you for bringing that up Nick because that's so funny now I completely don't even listen to that does that matter that he was the highest grade slot cornerback in 15 freaking slot snaps come yeah. on <laughs> I, I'm not 100% sure but if that was from the 2019 season which I don't believe it was <laughs> but if it if it was and I am wrong there 
Then he did play in the slot 628 snaps and 469 snaps on the boundary in 2019. So he does have the ability to do both. Now, he might just get relegated because of his size to the slot in the NFL is what it is. Someone's going to get an excellent slot defender. I think the Giants already have one in Darnay Holmes, which may lead the Giants not to go in this direction. But if the Giants did, I would say, okay, there might be, like I said, there might be those size limitations, but this guy has enough man coverage ability and enough ability that he's going to make it in this league. And I do believe that. Yeah, I think for both me and Nick, we both kind of feel pretty confident that cornerback is a very important position for the Giants to upgrade. This offseason, every offseason, moving forward, put your put a lot of stock in getting your defensive backs up to par with the rest of the NFL, and if possible, exceed the rest of the NFL, because this is quickly becoming a coverage league, in my opinion. Yes, we just saw JPP and Shaq Barrett and Vita Vey and that defensive line kind of derail the Chiefs, but keep in mind, the Chiefs were playing with Mike Remmers at left tackle, and a right guard who had to shift over to right tackle and never played the position, and then some backup, backup, backup at right guard as the train rolls through. So we're really talking about just a totally derailed offensive line. That's not reality for most teams in most seasons, but coverage, man, it really become is becoming more and more important. So let's pause and go there. Let's go to where we go for every single one of these podcasts. Before we take a few questions from the listeners, let's do this. Giants are sitting on the board, 42 overall, no trade back. They didn't go corner in round one. Would you be happy if they selected Samuel? Yeah, I'd have to say I'd be pretty happy. To be honest, I trust this kid's skill set, but you would have to, like I say, you have to weigh the cons with it because there are cons with it. I mean, I'm sorry. Measurables are important to some extent. Like I said earlier, I think they can be over-evaluated sometimes, but they are important, especially in a league that has some freakishly large human beings who can move at very, very high rates of speed. Yeah. For me, I've got to be honest with you, Nick, I'll be pretty ecstatic if they get him at 42 because I think the only reason he'll be there at 42 is because of these quote-unquote size limitations and size concerns that, you know, the same things happen with Darnay Holmes, the same things happen with Brent Grimes, the same thing happened with a lot of corners I've seen come out who were amazing in college, had all the coverage traits you want to see that could translate to the next level, but literally just don't have the measurables people want. And you see this kind of with the DK Metcalf 3-co, and you see all these types of situations pop up. But when you watch this kid, Samuel, like you said, there's things that stand out. It's one, his ability to flip his hips. It's two, how smooth he is in coverage. Three, the ball skills, man. He had a lot of passes, defense, and interception, and that's something that his dad was good at as well. Four, it's the football IQ. It's the pedigree. It's the, He's been taught this position so well. So I think if they do come away with him, what you said before actually stands out to me they're going in a division where you have one team that has cd lamb michael gallup and Mari cooper now you just have more potential guys who are really good and smooth in coverage to match up when those guys are on the boundary or those guys those guys move in motion into the slot and whatever it may be so i'd be pretty happy if they took samuel there at 42 it's also just the recovery speed the reaction timing all of those types of things that he brings I mean, you could see he'll be in his back pedal, and he'll see like the quarterback just start to move his arm to throw the football in his direction. He's already clicking and closing downhill to just break up that on like a third short, something yeah. that mo- more than likely wouldn't be gassed in that situation because he is a pretty disciplined player a lot of the times from what I've seen, especially at the line of scrimmage too. Yeah, it's all good stuff except for, of course, the size. That's yeah. it. That's the stuff. And, you know, that is worth something. Obviously, you want big corners, especially for run support and – more importantly for me than him being big, I just want to make sure he's a form tackler and someone who they can rely on to not screw up underneath stuff, and mostly in the passing game and then also in the run game. But 
you know, no major concerns there, I don't think, from you, from your film study. So that's a good sign. So let's take some questions from the listeners. We're going to hit a couple we got from Instagram and then one we got from our iTunes reviews. Like we said, ask a question in iTunes. It is a guarantee we're going to read it because I feverishly read these iTunes reviews and ratings like like a madman sniffing out one stars just ready to rip them apart on this podcast you drop a one-star review you're getting torched i don't care i don't care if you like it i don't care if you don't like it you're getting torched but this is there's been no one stars lately so we're just going to read some good stuff we'll start with sam the giants fan and by the way for those of you who haven't done already please 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 only thing i'll ever ask ever from you go to itunes go to our show make sure you hit subscribe make sure you download not just listen to every podcast download is how we get paid downloads how we grow and then give us a rating and review if you enjoy this content just hit rating click the five star if you really enjoy it and then write something in if you have a question or you want to tell us a comment it's this is the best way for the most likely way for it to be read so sam the giants fan says best giants podcast i've listened to a few and consistently enjoyed this one the most except the reading of the commercials and it's back baby nick's getting torched baby it's back i read this one for a reason i was so happy to see it sam the giants fan i have a question (laughs) would you like me and please reach out on twitter slide in the dms would you like me to read it in a in a more exuberant way at this point would you want me to be i think exuberance is the last thing we need from but i'm not I, but i'm not like that anymore <laughs> I, I have changed my friend <laughs> so yes, i would like yes. to know what you would like me to change about it and you know then maybe i will and by the way now the ads are a little bit different now so some of them i we send it to the the people who host our podcast and they end up dealing with it so it might be out of my hands soon Wow. Can you believe that? A big blue bander podcast without Falato's ad read. That's going to be a turning of the page. It's going to be a new new era for the big blue bander. But he says, still, with that said, it's still my go-to podcast, especially on my long walks. Here's an update to my review. It's still the best, and it's not even close. I especially like the in-depth review of the prospects, who are projected to be the Giants' first-round pick. Curious what you guys think of BBI. Also curious if you ever post there. Keep up the great work. So this is funny. I wanted to read this one because earlier in the podcast, Nick mentioned BBI. First Big Blue Interactive reference we've ever made on this podcast. So funny you said that. Nick is not very familiarized with Big Big Blue Interactive. I'm surprised you even saw a post there of them bashing you. I, I didn't see the post. Somebody who... Well, a friend of mine who who goes on it, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're roasting. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, I have been roasted countless times in Big Blue Interactive. I've also been praised by some people. There are some people on BBI who like my shit, and I love those people. Because guess what? I, unlike Nick, do read BBI. Unfortunately, though, I will be honest, I haven't read BBI regularly now for like two or three years. I used to be a regular avid reader, but I got to be honest, Twitter's changed the game. Twitter has a lot of what I need for the giant standpoint, and I see less and less interest in BBI than I ever did. So to answer your question, I used to be an avid reader. BBI is kind of what I grew up on. To become this diehard Giants fan, if you want to call it, or analyst now, that I am. It started on BBI. My entire family, my dad put me onto BBI. My cousins read BBI. We all used to read BBI. When I was 10 years old, I was reading BBI. I had an account on there that I never posted on. One time, my brother, who was on BBI, actually had made up, created a troll account. Eric from BBI, he created his account name. And for those of you who read BBI, you'll know Eric is the guy who runs BBI. And my brother spelt one of the words a little different. Eric from BBI tried to do a troll account. It was shut down immediately. He said he got like one post off, was up for like four minutes, and it got deleted, and he was banned, which is awesome. But yeah, I don't read BBI as much as I used to. I'll go there occasionally now from time to time. Um, but 
but uh yeah not as much anymore and i never post there anymore i used to post when i was working for 24 7 sports to promote my content and i still see some people talking about our podcast on there so if you are on bbi feel free to give us a shout out if you like our podcast and talk us up so we can get more listeners we definitely would love to tap into that crowd more for sure but thank you for the review sam and also thank you to noah j harris who says love what you guys are doing your analysis of giants football has made me do the impossible actually somewhat enjoy running in the morning keep up the awesome work wow no i'll tell you one thing i can't speak for nick who somehow does enjoy running but i fucking hate running i hate running with a pressure i hate running outside it hurts my knees i hate running on a treadmill and yet i could stand there and run up and down a basketball court and play pickup basketball for three straight hours and never spend a minute of it in pain never spend a minute of it not enjoying it but 20 minutes on a treadmill and by minute seven 32 by the 732 mark i'm like how the hell is it this, this where what am i doing i can't do this anymore stop 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 i love running to be honest Ugh, i've been running my gross. i've been running my entire life now that i'm i mean i'm not old by any means but my bones hurt joints just aren't what they were man they're just not what they were you're an old man nick you're an old man now it's just for those who don't know fans of the show a couple what a week or half ago it was nick flotto's birthday yeah yeah i had a birthday he had a birthday i did have a birthday can you believe that? He had a birthday in this pandemic, in this economy. <laughs> in this economy. Alrighty, so we have uh, Courtney Hampton asks a question via Instagram. If anybody wants to send a question in on Instagram, go follow NY Big Blue Banter. Sean Barletta, our guy, is doing excellent work over there. So he says, great stuff you guys are putting out. It has taken my football knowledge to another level. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thank you, Courtney, for listening. But here's a question. At 11, if Kyle Pitts and Patrick Sertain are there, who are you taking? Ah, uh, that's a great question, Courtney. And I'll say this. <sighs> Let me say this, Courtney. I don't want to give any definitive answer now about who I would take of those two prospects at 11 because I haven't studied either of them in depth. I've actually studied Pitts a lot more than Sertain to this point in time. So I'm not really sure where I'm at there, but I'll say this. I love me some Kyle Pitts. I watch him and I see a natural hands catcher. I see someone who has incredible potty control in the air, ability to adjust to 50-50 balls, ability to adjust the back shoulder balls. These were throws that plagued the Giants receiver core last year. All of them. I mean, Slayton made some plays as a rookie in that regard, but he was not as good in that regard in 2020, and none of the receiving core was. <laughs> not Evan Ingram. And so I don't really worry about the position that he's a tight end, tight ends have high bust rate. If you have a good coordinator, you can find a way to use Kyle Pitts. He's a savvy route runner, incredible hands, incredible mismatch, and it makes plays on the football. He does what receivers should actually do, catch the ball and make incredible adjustments to catch the ball. It's what makes Allen Robinson so good. It what makes It's actually one of the things that makes Sterling Shepard really good that people never give him credit for. And so I like Pitts a lot, I'll say that. So I don't know where I'm going to be at with that one yet, Courtney, but I'll say this. As of now, I'll probably lean Pitts. Yeah, I'm not going to make a declarative statement either because Sertain, I'm waiting to kind of get to that Alabama defense and that Alabama offense to really kind of find the all-22 on Devonta Smith and Jalen Waddle. But as for Pitts, I have watched several games. I'm not quite done with his evaluation yet, but we should be probably releasing a podcast soon about Kyle Pitts once I finalize this evaluation on him, and I really like what I see. I think one concern I may have is he might run like 4-6, and he's kind of more of a wide receiver than a tight end. I mean, they put him in line. He's not 
a, a great blocker, to be frank. A lot of people are going to draw Evan Ingram type of comparisons to him. That's foolish because he's just a much better receiving option than Evan Ingram. He's just another smooth athlete. He's just not going to have that kind of breakaway speed that a lot of people want in these offensive weapons. Yeah, no doubt about it. All right, that's all we have for tonight's podcast. Stay here. Keep it locked and loaded with the Big Blue Bander podcast. Like Nick alluded to, you're probably going to get a Kyle draft. Um, sorry, a Kyle Pitts draft preview coming soon. We're also probably going to be hitting news as it comes in, Fast and Furious. It's about that time of the year. Um, not just yet. Frequency is on the doorstep, though. It's coming. So please, please, please rate, review, subscribe, download, follow us on Instagram, NYBigBlueBanter. Otherwise, have a great rest of your week, and we'll talk to you soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.